Hello, you all, and welcome to episode 10 of The Pebble in the Cosmic Pond. Today's conversation is inspired by Leo Locke's ideal of what he calls bodhisattva math, which is a great reminder for us to focus on topics in Chinese medicine that have the most impact on alleviating unnecessary suffering with the least amount of effort. In this context, Sun Simiao reminded us already in the 7th century that food is essential for human survival, but it can be medicine or poison. As he put it, anything that contains qi, without exception, has the potential to provide food and thereby safeguard life. And yet, if we eat it without awareness of its specific effect, it can mean thriving or ruin. In this episode on eating for old age, Leo Locke and I explore the potential and power of food in the contemporary clinical practice of Chinese medicine. To cite Master Sun again, dietetics is, as he calls it, the special method of lengthening the years and eating for old age and the utmost art of nurturing life, Yangsheng. Any practitioner of medicine, Sun Simiao says, must first thoroughly understand the source of disease and know what has been violated. Then, use food to treat it. If treatment with food will not cure the patient, afterwards, apply drugs, meaning medicinal formulas. The nature of drugs is harsh and unyielding. This is just like managing soldiers. Soldiers being fierce and violent, how could you possibly allow them to recklessly set out? End of quote. You will see there are some real gems that Leo shares with us in this episode, such as how to have your ice cream and eat it too. I'm your host, Dr. Sabina Vips, and I'm joined as usual by Leo Locke, resident purveyor of multiple perspectives at the Pebble in the Cosmic Pond podcast, where we share old and new stories about China's healing traditions and about medicine in heaven and on earth and in the sweet spot in between. Before we get into the conversation, I'd like to remind you to sign up for my newsletter at happygoatproductions.com connect to stay in touch. Also, please rate, review, and share this podcast wherever you can. Lastly, are you tired of waiting until the next new moon for the next episode to drop? Do you want to join us for the second half of this conversation? And do you want to support my work through a financial contribution? Well, in that case, I invite you to join my Imperial Tutor Mentorship, where you can listen each month to the exclusive follow-up Imperial Tutorial episodes that drop every full moon, in addition to receiving all sorts of other benefits, like weekly translations and live tea time talks. Find out more and sign up at happygoatproductions.com slash imperialtutor. And now enjoy this episode. Thanks. So, Leo, you have. Thank you for 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 coming again. Um, thank you. You have 
you have mentioned this bodhisattva math in the past. Mm -hmm. Will you remind us once again what you mean by that before we get into today's topic? Okay. So what that basically I'm means you on the spot, sorry. for me is that we do minimum or minimal effort for maximal benefits and effects. Yes. I really love this expression of the bodhisattva math as, as a guiding light or ideal for our podcast and for our work. And so today's topic is dietetics. And I think for me in my personal practice, and this is dietetics is a topic where I see my personal beliefs and my personal experience and my, my, my personal way of being in the world completely align with what I find in the classics. And it's a piece of Chinese medicine that is often underutilized, if not yes. ignored, in contemporary Chinese medicine practice in the West. And I think to a large part that could be because of the profit, that there is not a lot of profit, you know. People make a lot more money if they get their patients to come in for 10 acupuncture sessions. That's how acupuncturists make a living, after all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're an herbalist, you you give your patients, you, there's a profit for selling. I mean, some people just use pharmacies, which is nice when you separate the, the practice of the doctor from the income stream of the pharmacist. But still, that herbal formula needs to be adjusted and, and all of that. Um, and to me, dietetics is a way where you don't just treat illness, but you actually practice yangsheng. You, you, you nurture life. You don't just treat disease, but you create healthy, thriving human beings. Yeah, I think you put it really beautifully. And the challenge of our modern pra a lot of our modern practice among our colleagues is that the economic models actually dictate a lot of different ways we, we can or may not be afford to practice in a certain way. So there's a, a very definite economic reality yeah. in there, right? In terms of yeah. time, you know, our colleagues are so busy delivering the acupuncture treatment, yeah. the herbal prescription, and then they have to educate the patient on so many different topics, on the nuances of food. I don't think realistically in many practices there is enough time to provide that level and extent of education. And education being the key point. And I yeah. think maybe that's where my perspective is different. And I may just be clueless about those realities because I'm not a clinical practitioner. So I can afford to speak from this ideal place mm -hmm. of, and I think sometimes that's a little bit of a problem 
And it's nice that you pull me back down to the, this is what the clinic, this is what it looks like for a clinician on the ground where you have to pay back your student loans and you have to, you know, pay for the rental of your, or, or your, your practice space and your, and everything else. This is what the reality is like if you're a Chinese medicine doctor, Chinese medicine practitioner, you're, ne you're needing to make a living. Whereas my perspective is create is it comes straight from the classics and the people who were writing these texts in the classical age however we define that but the han dynasty sun Tzu miao sun Tzu miao was not somebody who depended on on clinical practice to make a living he was a member of the elite he was an advisor to the emperor he was not a professionally practicing doctor like you and most of the people who listen to our podcast. So yeah. he his volume on Yang Xing, on nurturing the, the innate nature, is yeah, there's his his whole writing, his whole work wasn't focused on how to make a living or anything like that. It was a very different way of looking at medicine as a as as a tool for Yangsheng, for nurturing life, for the elite gentleman, because it was written by man, by a man for men, and it was intended for emergency treatments. How can, I think Sun Tzu compiled all these formulas and all these essays with this ideal of creating a compendium that a member of the elite could have on his desk on his shelf and it would be preparing for emergencies so that's where the formulas come in right that's the beiji um emergency formulas but the whole the 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 overarching goal is to treat disease zhiwei bing treat mm -hmm. disease before it arises to treat to not wait until you're thirsty before you start digging the well and not wait until you're in the middle of combat before you cast your whatever however what the word is for making swords yeah. um, which is suben two yeah. was it suben two suben three something i don't know like that yeah suben one but let's let's hear from him a little bit because i think you you brought up a, one of your one of your favorite quotes from sun okay. simia which i resonate with quite a bit yeah. let's let's listen to what you have translated Okay. For that quote. So this is from the volume on nurturing the inner nature, which is at the very end of the book. Um, this is the special method of lengthening the years and, in quotation marks, eating, literally eating for old age mm -hmm. and the utmost art of nurturing life. So this is what Sun Tzu Miao thought of as the, the key to Yangsheng. Any practitioner of medicine must first thoroughly understand the source of disease and know what has been violated. Then use food to treat it. If treatment with food will not cure the patient, afterwards apply drugs, meaning herbs. The nature of drugs, medicinal prescriptions, is harsh and unyielding. This is just like managing soldiers. Soldiers being fierce and violent how could you possibly allow them to recklessly set out? Mm -hmm. 
So we 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 are so used to thinking of Chinese herbal prescriptions as being these gentle treatments compared to the evil biomedical antibiotics or whatever. And the, the, the traditional Chinese way, of course, there was no biomedical drugs. So it was a completely different... And when you look at Sun Tzu formulas, you can see the difference. I remember doing a... having a... Dis, like a roundtable discussion with Zef Rosenberg, oh, like 20 years ago. And Zef was just, like, shocked at the intensity of the gynecological formulas in Sun Tzu volume on gynecology, that most of them were so harsh, and it was it was a completely different treatment style from what, what he's comfortable and what he's used to using. Mm. So I think this goes back to other conversations that, that we've had about what how Chinese medicine has changed depending on where where you practice and the, the, the social context and all of that. But to, you know, to, to really emphasize also the power of food and the centrality of food in Chinese medicine and in Chinese culture, which is yeah, a I, very underutilized resource. I would agree. And I, I'm so grateful for you bringing this quote up because I have not paid attention to it in the past, I didn't really know that this quote existed. But I, in the last 10 years or 15 years, I've practiced in accordance to this very spirit and principle unbeknown to me that he had, Sun Simi had this quote. I basically tried my very best to use food and the food's principles to treat my patients before using herbal formulas. I think more yeah. than a lot of colleagues that I know. And so I've been able to collect quite a few successful examples where in other cases, many would have used herbs, but I've used food and food principles instead and had some really good success. So yeah, I really it, resonate with It just makes sense. That, yeah. You know, and in another place, he talks about how every substance has chi. Every substance is chi. Everything that we put in the body is chi. And medicinal substances, the, 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 it, it's not something is food versus something is a drug, the way we are so used to thinking about it in yes. a Western context, where you have a grocery store and then you have a pharmacy. And foods come in in, you know, you have recipe books. That's called a recipe. And then you go to the pharmacy and you get your pills, which are, I mean, I guess supplements are a little bit in the middle in between. No, you would never take a supplement because it tastes good. Whereas in Chinese culture, it's it's all, there is no such thing as pills that come in bottles that you take not for the pleasure, not for the flavor. You take them because they're good for you. And then you eat because it gives you pleasure. That that division doesn't exist in Chinese culture, right? It does, but to a, a lot less extent. You um, put ginger or you put foods... Like I just was sick and I made chicken soup and I put a bunch of, I can't help it, I always do this. I 
put a bunch of ginger and and I put all these so-called medicinal substances into my soup partly because I know that that increases the heat and it gets rid of the cold and the damp, mm -hmm. the, the phlegm in my body, but also mm -hmm. because it's just a wonderful flavor if I make pho soup as opposed to just plain chicken soup. Yeah. So that knowledge of adding substances is is yes is is much lost. more it is lost meaning with whom and where can you clarify that it's lost in transmission in its transmission yeah. to the west you mean because it's definitely not completely lost in say in asia i mean i remember when i was when 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 my daughter was a year and a half old or so and and i lived in taiwan and you go into whatever it was a 711 and they mm -hmm. have little pouches to make medicinal chicken soup ah mhm mm little mm -hmm. pouches of of herbs that you can and you know you get a chicken and you make chicken soup you make your regular chicken soup and then you just add your your pouch of medicinal substances so yeah. it's it's still there it's in the commercial space it's in the commercial space and it's yes. also in the cultural space that exactly. i think housewives know or whoever is cooking the meals in that family and it's also part of it is is taking care of your elders because mm -hmm. the elderly have fragile health so maybe that's one reason why Sun Tzu puts this in this volume on, you know, there's a, um, there is a progression in Sun Tzu's book going from women's health, and he says this in the very beginning that this is how you venerate the root. You go from women's health to the newborn babies, the the, the pediatrics. And then you talk about everybody, and then in the very end of the his book on the the Chen Fang, the Thousand Gold Formulas, he talks about um, Yang Xing, about n nurturing the innate nature, which is really Yang Sheng. Mm -hmm. And then there's some immortality formulas, but it's also for. So I think he he goes from treating women and newborn babies all the way to eating for old age. Mm -hmm. And how do you support the elderly? Mostly through food, because you don't yes. want to give harsh drugs unless you absolutely have to because mm -hmm. of the side effects. Exactly. Yep. And I have been quite fortunate in my own practice in, okay. the, in the years that has gone by to, to uh, help people just basically on using foods alone. If I may share some of yes. my cases, so bring us so, yeah, bring us into. I think that's where this where I w would love this conversation to go. Is 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 this all? It's Sun Sumiao and it's Sabina in her office. But how does this look? How yeah. can you how can you bring this into the clinical context? Yes. So we just heard the ideal that Sun Sumiao uh -huh. proposed was before we use we use any uh, herbs or medicinals, let's use food first. Mm -hmm. And before we do that, we have to dong xi, right? We have to be to clearly analyze and know the source of where the source of imbalance come from. 
That's how yes. only when you know that can you use food uh, judiciously and magically, right? And it's so it's magically effective because it really, it really brings that home to us. So now it's a very concrete. I have these. Fun and cases. our listeners should know how to do the diagnosis part. Yes, right. That's uh, the part yeah, that you guys all have have, yeah. have. You look at the tongue. You look at the pulse. You you look at whatever. So that mm -hmm. part is the easy part compared to Sun Simiao's readers. Sun Simiao's readers, <laughs> they might have been good cooks, or they might the gentleman you know would tell the chef in the household, but they were not medically trained professionals, mm -hmm. whereas you guys are all medically trained professionals. So the diagnosis part, you got Should down. Should be pretty, yeah, pretty straightforward, right? So I have a case with a, a younger woman, a young woman who who was about to get married in a few months when she came to see me. But her problem is she has this face full of acne and pimples. Yeah. And you can imagine how devastating that can be on the wedding day or, or, or the photo shoots that you have to make and all that, right? It's devastating for a young bride. And uh -huh. she was desperate, very desperate. She went to see two dermatologists in the weeks and months before you know, using all the creams and whatnot and drugs and nothing seemed to work and it was getting worse. So I said, oh, well, if that's the case, maybe we can go more fundamental. And I, I should say, yeah. I have a daughter who has sometimes uh -huh. had skin issues. So I know how disturbing it can be, especially if you are... If you're young and and like preparing to get married, I can, I can, yeah. Or you want to go a, dating, as a right? Parent. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, you want to go on dates. Yes. So that is a very fundamental human experience, right? And it is devastating for a lot of people because and they people just are really motivated with mm -hmm. with skin issues because it's visible on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, okay, since you have seen two different doctors and you know, dermatologists and you have used all these creams, maybe, and it's not working at all, so maybe we can try something else, you know? Um, so I was asking, well, what, what do you eat? You know, do you eat something hot or spicy? Because in Chinese medicine, our fundamental theory is the the yangming channel the stomach yangming channel traverses into uh the face right and then a lot of the heat stomach heat stomach fire when it flares up it flares up into the face and it causes all these eruptions yes okay. a very so, yeah so leo any would the average chinese medicine the average acupuncturist would know, would know this, right? To a certain would extent, Would know yeah. that acne is fire and heat. Most of the time it is, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then look at the location. Yeah, I, of course, I don't want to make any assumptions since yeah. I haven't been in college for a long time now. So I don't know how the education of TCM has progressed in the yeah. last 20 years, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I really cannot make that type of assumption. But, 
but from the the Chinese or Asian standpoint, that is a very well known shanghuo. You know, the fire yeah. flaring up. That's a very very well known phenomenon. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know how much and how in to what extent that knowledge has been transmitted. So I dare not make any. Yeah. Uh, so maybe our listener will let us know. Yeah. If they haven't heard of it, then they will let us know, right? We're just going to assume that is a fundamental piece of knowledge in one's TCM education. So I I explained to her that you know we have this idea of fire and heat in Chinese medicine. So so are you taking any eating any foods that is spicy or hot in nature? And she said, "Of course, I'm Hispanic. I eat chili peppers, serranos, you know, jalapenos all the time. Every meal. That's who I am." I said, "Well, that may be the issue. You know, <laughs> you know, would you be willing to abstain from eating those things just for the sake of the wedding?" <laughs> Right, and then she said, "Of course, I can. I was willing to try anything. Oh, it's only two months away. It's two months away." Lady's desperate. Right. Oh, and uh, her and she was very, she was really game for it. And then yeah. within a month, she was a lot better. Her face was a lot better. And by okay. the time it was her wedding day, and uh, it everything disappeared. Uh huh. So from that from that type of experience. We know that there are things that can be helped and ameliorated without the intervention of Chinese medicinals and herbal formulas, because even yeah. if you place this case in Asia, a lot of the times the herbalist will continue to prescribe the herbs, because, like you said, that's the major source of their income. They may not. Number one, want to tell the patient that that's the cause, or number two, or they know that the patient wouldn't listen to them, so they would just say, "Forget about it. I'm going to just prescribe the herbs." You know, there are many. You know, reasons I'm just for yeah. That. I'm just yeah. wondering because if you tell your patient in such a way, it's like. This is pretty obvious. This is this is fire, and you take your spicy food away. Um, that is an ideal way, but that ideal way may not be commonplace. Econ economically, not it, just it economically, like socially as well. Because even in Asia, a lot of times people don't want to go to the herbalist to hear what they cannot do. That's the, right. Yeah. So it is right. human nature. I wouldn't even say you know, biomedical is like this or Chinese medicine is yeah, like that. Yeah. We're talking about in ideal situation, but in real life, like in a place like in mainland China, when a doctor has to see a hundred patients a day, they only have two, three, five minutes mm -hmm. with the patient. Yeah. They don't have the time nor the energy or the qi to go explain to the patients. In detail, all this stuff. I mean, in the less than yeah. ideal environment, right? They may have students yeah. who do the education bits. You know, it's like the doctor will do things, and then the students might pull the patients aside later and tell them, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. I'm not saying all the doctors are like that, 
There are definitely a lot of doctors who actually educate their patients, but I do not want to give the impression of the idealized practice and say that that's one hundred percent practice that way. Your, your your example is really special because your patient was super super motivated, and it was yeah. two months. So it's like the perfect ideal case. Somebody's gonna, and they've already gone through all these other experiences that didn't work. So that mm -hmm. was yeah. But yeah, I know I from my own experience, if I go to Like, you know, when I was totally overworked and I'd go see Brenda and she'd stick needles in me, the last thing I would want her to tell me is, Sabina, you got to work less because it's just not an option. Mm -hmm. Or, or you know, when I go swimming in the ocean and it's like the water is 40 degrees and I'm a middle-aged woman, it's like, yeah, I don't really want a practitioner to tell me to stop doing that because yeah. there are reasons why we do what we do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to yeah. make it, the, it like this is this idealized or this ideal situation happens all the time and you guys can do it 100% of the time. Yeah. And no, that's not the reality. In those cases in, in and in those circumstances, special cases, where it allows, this can be a truly magical and wonderful way of helping our patients, right? So do you have an example of a case where it didn't go like that? Yeah, actually, I do. Um, <laughs> it's, it's Take an us back case. to reality. <laughs> yeah, it is acne case again. It's okay. a, a young, again, a young woman, but of a different cultural descent. Her parents came from India, right? So mm -hmm. she grew up eating a lot of spiced foods, turmeric, cinnamon, cardamom. You know, those are daily oh. things that she yeah. eats, right? And she's yeah. very well-read. And she said, oh, turmeric is so amazing. He has all these anti-whatnot, yeah. uh, you know, anti-aging, whatnot. You know, all the terms we use in scientific or semi-scientific terms people use. So she was very keen on eating her turmeric. Yeah. But I said, oh, but f so this is really interesting because there's, it doesn't seem like culturally in her space, there is much uh, warning against turmeric for its certain properties. It seems like the culture is, is so close to the culture that it becomes something benign. This is a very interesting kind of a cultural observation, right? It's so close to their identity that they don't seem to have any, not any, but they don't seem to have an uh, alertness about its potential side effect. It, it kind of makes me think of the way I grew up with dairy, uh -huh. with milk and cheese, yes. and it's just so much part of the German experience. And especially when I was young and and we were vegetarian, it was like vegetarian, being vegetarian was supposed to be really, really healthy. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was kind of a new thing in the in the early 80s. It was a radical thing to like, you know, when you're 16, you're like, I don't eat meat in German culture. That's like, what? You're not eating your sausage? And my mom was like, what do I what do I cook for you? And a lot of my vegetarian friends, we just consumed a huge amount of 
of dairy to oh. make up for the to get the protein right yeah, I mean, you, you, yeah. what do you replace dairy with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah. we had a complete it was not part of my cultural upbringing at all that dairy would be a bad thing yeah and it's it's a pretty new thing yeah, and i'm still rejecting that part by the way yeah. <laughs> so because there's a social let's not forget yeah. so this is 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 this a very real social aspect to it uh-huh. if you don't drink milk then who are you how are you going to par- participate in the family life and the yeah, vi- yeah. village life right? like if you're yeah. indian you don't eat turmeric <laughs> what yeah. are you yeah right How, because go, the foods have have it in it yeah and it's just like, like in german all the food has cream or cheese or or yeah yeah so it's a very challenging even a privileged position to be in i would say to in a to be able to not participate in the socially yeah. sanctioned yes. and shared food uh, rituals. Yeah. Only in modern America do we have this freedom of saying, oh, I'm this, I'm a vegan, I'm a vegetarian, I'm non-dairy, you know, every sort of exceptions. This will be unimaginable in a socially collective you know, like Asian culture yeah. back, you know, even 20, 30 years ago. What? What? Peanut allergy? What the hell? Everybody eats peanut. Nobody dies <laughs> from it, you know? Uh, so it's a very interesting sort of a cultural, social phenomenon, I would say. But anyhow, back to the yes. case. So you're poor, so, so, so you're poor she patient. was unable to let go of those spices and uh-huh. therefore there was no progress made. In her case. So you diagnosed what the problem was and she was not able to, to follow, follow up your with advice. A behavioral yeah. changes yeah. Okay. in her food consumptions, right? Uh-huh. So that was unfortunately that was the case. Uh-huh. And now I have another case, which is So what did you do? Oh oh just have to let her know that you know, let her go. Let the patients leave the the practice. Because what else can we do? If she's not willing or unable to uh, get rid of the major source of the heat in her body. That was Did you try much. balance? So she had an extreme of yeah. chi coming in from her food that heat. threw her body has, out yeah. of yeah the the yeah there is too much heat mm-hmm. so did you try and counterbalance it oh, we did i you know and then she was unable to continue with the the type of the trajectory of the therapy yeah but i do have another case which okay. is successful not in the sense of acne, but in sense of Indian foods. So I have a, a Caucasian woman who came in and tells me that she has had these headaches for uh, many years, at least 10 years, right? 
So I was like, again, well, it seems like a lot of heat in the body. So what's going on? She said, oh, what do I eat? Um, I eat Indian food every day because <laughs> she's married to an Indian man. And I said, is there any chance that you can stop eating Indian food some of the time? She said, no way. The only way that can happen is I get a divorce. Right? So I said, okay. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So in that case, your case is not too bad. Maybe we can balance it out with eating more cooling foods like cucumbers, mint, you know, all these okay. raw yogurt. Yeah. 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 So his, her case is a little different from the previous one where we can ameliorate through the the ingestions of raw cooling foods. So, and it, it really helped. And her headache went away in a few weeks. So she, get to, she got to keep her Indian food and eat it too. She just had to, <laughs> uh, medicinally, she needed to ramp up the volume and the dosage of her cooling foods, like the raita, you know, the yogurt with cucumbers, and all the raw veggies to balance out the spice, the spiciness. So the cooling, heat clearing substances to balance out the fire that was brought in by the spices. So in this case, you she was successful. Diag yeah. You diagnosed. You tried to give dietary advice that she rejected, and then you modified your advice to balance it out. Yeah, instead of taking things away, we add things. And Adding, that's what Sun Smiao says, right? That everything yeah. you put in your body has an has effect. An influence. Yes. Has an effect, has a chi. And it can be cold or hot or warm or cool or or balance. And a lot of the beauty of I think a lot of traditional cuisines is that they tend, if they're extreme in, in one way, they counterbalance with the other, or maybe they're extreme because of the climate that you live in. Yes, beautifully said, yes. So we have to take the cons into consideration all the influences. The climate is an influence. The geography is an influence because the climate imparts from the Neijing, from the very beginning yeah. of our medicine, which says there is this liu qi, right? The six qi, the dryness. Yeah. There is the hot, the heat, the cold, the wind, the damp, all that. And that's not just from the environment, but it's also from our foods. And so I think people yeah. forget about that. I Oh, well, this is good, Leo. Because I think we are so used to, in theory, from what I... My impression when I was working at the university and teaching there, that and I worked very closely with the first-year students, that they learn about the six... The, the, the six um, pernicious influences or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they learn it as these are the... Um, external factors, the climatic yes. factors that throw the body off balance. But you're absolutely right that these they're chi. And if we think about them not as climatic factors, like people translate that, Leo chi, they translate that as climatic factors. And then it limit it 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 excludes everything that could be 
one of these qi. And it's so much more than just hot weather. Like the yes. diet is another, it's an external factor. It's qi, it's all qi. And, y- and emotions yeah. are another. Exactly. And we say the five emotions when they go into the extreme can turn into fire. Yeah. So yeah. so and I think the key is is the nexus of that transformation and of those influences is the human physical body. You can observe Ooh. yeah, for example, let's talk about dryness now. Dryness. Okay. Yeah. So I have I think this is great because I think a lot of Chinese medicine practitioners don't I think these are the sort of insights that for some reason are not spelled out there 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 are certain blind spots in the way in which Chinese medicine is I see it being transmitted in the West. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of those blind spots where we just think of dryness as, oh, you know, this is Tucson, Arizona. Um, it's just the weather. But, yeah. Ah, so, so so dryness can also come from consuming food, foods that are drying. For example, as you know, uh, in California, where we are in the cent- so if we're closer to the Central Valley and away from the San Francisco Bay, it can be extremely drying, uh-huh. right? And very dry compared to the most parts of the world or most parts of the United States. It's almost it can be close to desert-like sometimes. Mm-hmm. For example, mm-hmm. when the wind kicks from the north, from inland, our humidity, relative humidity, can drop down to the single digit. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's very yeah, dry, yeah. you know, 13% humidity, right? Yeah. But even then, even before we get there, even at 30, 40% humidity, as we are dry, being so dry out there, there's a lot of dust. Mm-hmm. And the aromatics that comes out of the trees all creates this environment of dryness is like a desiccant that sucks moisture out of your lungs. And you know that. You lived in Arizona. You know, it's been it's been a long time. And I live in a place right now where it, it's very moist. It is like I don't know. It's just crazy. It hasn't rained in a couple of days. Uh-huh. And it it's it's just everything is completely sogging wet. It doesn't oh. even need to rain. There, there's so much moisture in the air that yes. there's I there was ice this morning on the road, even though it hasn't rained in several days. See, we lived in opposite climates. Very right? much. Yeah. I'm so dry here. I'm just, and it's gonna rain tonight, thank goodness. It's been so dry and you can feel it in the air and the air is sucking the moisture out of you at every turn, right? And the wind kicks in. So what happens is that is not the only way you can desiccate yourself if you eat a lot of crackers, chips, that's going to dry up the body from the inside out. So... So to us, the drying nature is a, a, can be outside or inside, mm-hmm. coming from the inside. But the result is the same. You're going to feel parched. 
you're going to feel thirsty, you're going to be dried, and then you have lung yin deficiency, and you're going to have shortness of breath. You go out and exercise or walk around, and then you're like, I want to go home and sit down because I, I, I'm short <laughs> of breath. But really, it is the yin being uh, desiccated by the environment or the foods mm -hmm. that you eat, right? So I had this case years ago where this gentleman came in and said, you know, I have this frequent urination problem. I have to go to the bathroom all the time. It's like, well, you're pretty young, you're healthy, you don't have diabetes, you know, what can be going on? It's like, oh, I, I, I drink a lot because I'm thirsty all the time, but you don't have diabetes. So what happens is, you know, in California, and he worked in a really dry environment, so he's dry all the time. And he said, I drink water all the time, so that's why I have to go to the bathroom, right? But in Chinese medicine, we know that water alone does not always quench your thirst because mm -hmm. our ancestor left us an axiom that says, Suan Gan Hua Yin. Sweet and sour transforms into yin fluids. That's mm -hmm. the axiom that we go by and that's validated by, you know, more than a thousand years or not 2,000 years of clinical experience. So how mm -hmm. do you, so our medical ancestors have always used Suan Gan, for example, uh, you can use Wu Mei with Gan Cao. Mm -hmm. One is mm -hmm. sour and one is sweet, right? You can use any kind of fruit juices. They, they used to use fruit juices in the summer if it's available. Mm -hmm. Like the Wenbing people use a lot of Suan Gan. Mm -hmm. Tian Shi, mm -hmm. they use a lot of Suan Gan, right? Anything sour or sweet they can combine, they use. So I said, okay, why don't I just taught my patient, this patient, the principles of sweet and sour, but it cannot be intensely sweet, right? So I said, how about lemonade or limeade or any things like that? You can use, maybe dilute it a little bit. The commercial ones are a little too sweet, right? So he did that and taking sips of it throughout his work uh, hours, and he was able to cut down his water consumption by substantial, maybe by 50%. Because all the water she was dunking into his body just passed through him. Because water is tan wei, is a blend. We say tan is shen shi, tan actually promotes urination. So the more he drank plain water, the more dehydrated he became. So those are all the yeah. principles that we have in our herbalism, but we can apply it to the daily moments so after drinking lemonade sipping lemonade throughout the day he's his frequent urination completely disappeared because and he was where not drinking would, so much so leo where would somebody get that how would how can somebody how how can a chinese medicine practitioner in the west learn where where can somebody go to learn this sort of culturally transmitted information? Not just cultural, medically, but it's in the medical books. It's in especially in the cases in the writings of medical ancestors. Well, unfortunately, as you know, which are not most of these trans are, have not, yeah. 
I think the problem is even worse than that. Even the people who are capable of doing the translation, such as yourself, are not even aware of the existence of these writings, right? That's. Well, no, I'm aware of the existence. I just pick and choose, and oh, I've got right? five different <laughs> projects going on. I'm. I have to do the gynecology book. I'm. I've started the hundred questions on gynecology, oh. right? And I've got two volumes translated, and I'm about two thirds through volume three, which is on pregnancy, and volume oh. four is on postpartum. And postpartum recovery is like this hugely important topic, and there is nothing available in English on postpartum yeah. recovery. So, so, dear Leo, so the problem I is only there's... have so many hours <laughs> in the day. <laughs> so that means is too few of you. Yes, too few yes. of Which is beat. why I'm now teaching classical Chinese. Yeah, we and need I'm, to help train yeah. many more Absolutely. for the future. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's really, I think you brought up a really good point. It's just too few of us. Too, yeah. too few of us. Yeah. And and unfortunately, there is not really any place, easy place you can go to, except for maybe it's my responsibility now to put out well, you do these little courses, which yeah. I think are really wonderful because it doesn't take you three years to write one of them. Exactly, exactly. Like, you yeah. know, I I mean, yeah. I put out stuff on gynecology, but it takes me years to write the stuff. Mm -hmm. Because the way I deliver things does not require the rigor, the type of rigor that you need in your project. And it because makes it more bite-sized, so it makes it more yeah. easier to digest and less intimidating, so, and people actually watch. Yeah, and plus, I did a plus. It's a lot class. fancier because <laughs> yours are like it's not a book. It's not a boring book, and nobody a, reads books anymore. Yeah, video and and so I did a really fun and pretty one recently on ice cream. That's right. So that's that's right. Yeah. Okay, we're talking about dietetics. Yes. Yes, <laughs> ice cream. Yeah. So I did a class on yeah, ice cream yeah. because there was a, a colleague who asked about ice cream as like, is it worse to eat it in the summer versus the winter? And blah. I was like, yeah. yeah, nobody. We never really talked about ice cream because I, I yeah. myself was curious. When did ice cream first got introduced to China? When did our medical first ancestor first encountered ice cream? See, and that's the other question is how do we modernize? How do we how do we we've got to take somebody like Sun Smiao and we've got to take the principles and, and you do this and we this comes up in our conversations a lot. How do we take these lofty principles and translate this is part of transmission? Right mm -hmm. into clinical like like, like ice cream is not something that existed. Yeah. Okay. So when so so it was actually about a hundred years what ago. Fun. And it came from Montana, the U.S. The modern ice cream that we know today came from Montana. It was exported to Shanghai because the Shanghainese were very modern. A hundred years ago, they were the cosmopolitan, yeah, yeah. right? The, yeah. the national cosmopolitan. They introduced, they imported. So I found these snippets Wait, of these. The, 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 
they imported the ice cream because we can see them in the advertisement in the in the newspapers. I found all these newspaper clippings from the 1920s and the 1930s, and I pair it with wow. the the music of the time. You know, yeah, and you, yeah. And yeah. I get I should get to show everybody. You know, here here's an advertisement for buying this equipment from the U.S. They were importing uh-huh. United States. Ice cream called Dixie's in a cup, and then they figured out they could import the equipment and the ice cream uh, bucket uh-huh. and the the freezer, the refrigerator from the United States, and then they were importing all the machines and they were making ice cream themselves. Yeah, but the milk still came from the United States. Wow, just really interesting, yeah. right? Yeah. And then I get to f- look. Co-locate that advertisement with the writings of one of the most famous Jing Fang doctors of the time, called um, Cao Yinfu. Uh-huh. Cao Yinfu was a very famous yeah. doctor, and in his Jing Fang Shiyan Lu, his collection of cases, which his disciple collected for him, uh-huh. we saw several cases of ice cream induced uh, Gui Zhi Tang problems. It was ah. like, oh, Mr. So and So went to the parlor <laughs> or the ice cream parlor, the U.S. ice cream parlor. We have this import from the U.S. and France and whatnot, and he ate one serving of ice cream, and uh, and then he That's... threw us uh, throwing up, had diarrhea, you know. So that was the first, inc- the earliest encounter of ice cream. Shanghainese patients and the doctor mm-hmm. who had to fix the problem because this is a new substance that they yeah. don't usually partake in. And right? it's clearly a substance, I mean, in the Sun Tzu way of thinking about the qi. Mm-hmm. Ice cream has a pretty extreme qi. Yeah, very cold, yeah. very cold. Yeah. Yeah? And, and it's okay with people who have a lot of heat in their bodies. Yeah. So there, I also talked about the benefits of ice cream. Ice cream, ice cream is not all evil. You see, it has its benefits to a certain very narrow category of people with a certain heart constitution. Actually, it's okay with them. There is neutral to them. Yeah, that yeah. is why we. Sun Samuel says the chi is different, and you have to look at the individual, right? So, so therefore. I brought in my own case in the in, in that in that course about how I taught this boy of how to have his ice cream and eat it too because ice cream was we talked about all the heat induced problems in our previous examples but mm-hmm. I had a case where this boy was having asthma all the time every night mm-hmm. for and he was like about ten for five years mm-hmm. since he was five years old. It was a mm-hmm. terrible, terrible thing, right? Imagine a little boy having to have yeah. asthma attack every night. But I, I, I kind of interviewed him and figured out it was. I think it was his ice cream because he ate ice cream after dinner mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. night. So mm-hmm. I explained to him the mechanisms, which I talked about in detail in my course. Again, the principles that we have learned throughout, you know, the past one thousand years. And uh, his asthma went away, but we had to agree on a very particular schedule and manner of eating his ice cream. 
And that <laughs> involves, again, the wisdom of our medical ancestors. And, and that, also yeah. requiring you to take the time to sit down with this oh, guy yeah. and figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, many years later, I ran into his mom. And he was already a teenager at that time, his mom said, and uh, or almost yeah. a young adult. And there was no recurrence after that. Zero. For many, many years later, zero. We changed mm. the boy's life forever. Not only did we stop the asthma, but we also educated him in a way that he knew how, what ice cream does to his body. And he, he can very intelligently participate or not participate in the ingestion of ice cream. And you know what just struck me is that ultimately, isn't that a better business model? Isn't that a isn't that for your way of being a doctor in your community? If you're an integrated part of your community, I think in the it was ideal, a really simple thing. I mean, yeah. yes, it's like so obvious the, to anybody with the Chinese medicine background. Is like it, your explanation is like, well, duh, you don't need to go to a doctor to to figure that out. Oh no, he went to a doctor. He went to several specialists. But the fact that you. And that has no I mean, the same with the lady with the lady who got married. You know, it was such a simple thing to take the spices away for the acne. It's yeah. like any Chinese grandmother should be able to tell you that. But we don't live in a place where the Chinese grandmothers are listened to or they're not around. So yeah. don't you think ultimately that lady is going to tell all her, her community about how you helped her because you educated her. And maybe that was a really simple solution. But ideally, like that would be the case, ideally. But not every case can be like that, right? And I think in the boy's case, we went even one step beyond that, which is not only did we alert him to the side effect of the ice cream, but we gave him the freedom of how to negotiate the social mm. sphere and when mm. knowing when he can eat the ice cream and not be hurt by it so that he's socially mm. integrated as well with the rest of his friends for the rest of his life so that was that I would say that is my one of my proudest case because that's we took the care sign of, of a him. Da'i. Right. Of a so, great doctor, Sun Smiao would say. How was I able to do that is because we relied and we stand on the shoulders of giants, of our mm -hmm. medical ancestors, who so meticulously picked apart these causes and effects of the pathologies and the things that influences them. The, so he had to eat his ice cream in a very particular manner, in a, during a very particular time. Right? I, I explained that in my course, what that involves. I but mean, that's do partly I... your... Part of it is you're, you're so well-read. Part of it, you, you, you have, you know, solid training. Part of it is your cultural background. But part of it is also your ability, your compassion as a human being. I'm just thinking, I'm always thinking about what makes a great doctor. 
you know, that 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 virtue healing book that I wrote. I mean, mm-hmm. I, re- I, I think about how do we encourage our listeners to be the best healers that they have it in them. And I think your flexibility there, your your willingness to to not just say, "Oh, ice cream is evil for you, and you you don't get to have ice cream," but but taking it a step further, that flexibility is maybe the the personal, the compassion, your cultivation. That's you being just a good human being. I don't know about, but the subtitle of the, the the class is uh, between category categorical rejection and uninformed indulgence. What's the sweet spot? Ooh, see you in your sweet spots. Yeah, and so I think that's the spirit that's a great of our podcast, subtitle. right? So because, yeah. like you said, categorical rejection, ice cream is evil, evil all the way, evil all the time. All places for everybody. Yeah. But then people who are not hurt by it will say, no, that doesn't that doesn't sound right to in my experience. I've never been hurt by the ice cream. Yeah. 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 So and then there's the, the other part of uninformed indulgence. Now everything goes, no, nothing can hurt me, is okay. And then they're being hurt left and right. Mm-hmm. So between these two extremes, where can we dial? our position so that in this boy's case she and he doesn't he didn't have asthma anymore since this experiment and yet at the same time he can participate in the social cohesion or the social uh what you call these connection with his friends and family when he needed to and not hurt yeah. himself. I think to me that is the essence of the Chinese culture. The essence of the tradition is that we don't seem to have these very polarized, categorical, right or wrong, good and evil stands towards things in life. I mean, Zhuangzi was already making fun of people for Mm. saying this is Tsai, this is is useful, and this is Uh Tsai. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. So So that is the DNA of the Chinese culture. It's the, well, it's the, I would argue that it's the, it's the DNA of the human experience because we use language and anytime you use uh, language you are forced to say good or bad right or wrong is the that, tea hot or cold or neutral yes yes um and you can break it down and you can be more sophisticated and say is it cold or is it cool or is it warm or is it hot but yeah. you're still you know you're still putting things in boxes because we're using human language. Some people stick to the boxes more rigidly than others. That's what I'm trying to say. Even though you can still categorize and draw boxes, but some people's boxes are more easily malleable and dissolved when it's needed. Yes. And food. And food is a... 
really good way to think about these boxes because mm-hmm. it is it is so much more than medicine. It yeah. is so much more than nutrition. Yes, yes, yes. It is it's Maybe. the culture, it's the joy. There's there's to me there's also the love in the food. I mean there's Absolutely. there's when I go into a restaurant, it doesn't like the nutrition is is such a small part. It is an important part. I mean, there are these restaurants where you get, you know, like really, really fancy, good, perfect macrobiotic vegetables. But if the chef, the, 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 the people making the food have not put their love into it, I would so much rather eat like fried chicken from, and I love fried chicken, but... So that's no, a topic so of another love. day. The yeah. love needs to be part of it too. There's... So we need to talk about that in the next. Which is all another... part of chi. So if yeah. you think about food as chi, right? Then you you it then you understand that it's not just the material substances, but it's mm-hmm. also the chi of the mother preparing it for her child or her or 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 yes. Yeah. All so right. Before we ongoing. close out. Uh, our podcast, as as uh, Sabina likes to remind me, maybe I have to give out the the website for my course. Yes, yes. And we we'll also have it a uh, specific in one the... in the show notes, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's vuma.thinkific.com. V o o m a dot thinkific. Thinkific.com. And then and and then you will see a, a collection of my courses, and one of them will be the ice cream, and I have another one on weight loss also, which has a lot to do with phlegm and purging and things like that. Yeah, so that was welcome. I was what I was thinking yeah. one about phlegm. Yeah. Yeah. So the phlegm one, there's another one of a miraculous weight loss thing that has nothing to do with weight loss. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're curious, you're welcome to browse through my offerings on the website and we'll leave specific uh, URLs and notes in the, in the show notes for, for your easy access. Yes, we'll do that. Okay. All right. I'll see you guys later. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Leo. This was, there were some serious gems in here today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, here are a couple of suggestions for learning more. First, remember to subscribe to my newsletter at happygoatproductions.com connect to stay in touch. I do strive to offer a healthy balance of free and paid information there. Also, if you liked this episode, please rate, review, and share our podcast. And join the conversation on our Pebble in a Cosmic Pond Facebook group if you feel like it. And then, if you can't wait until the next new moon for the next episode to drop, why don't you join my Imperial Tutor Mentorship to listen to the exclusive Imperial Tutorial follow-up episodes that drop every full moon. In addition, you also receive a cultural and historical introduction to each month and three original translations by me of a classical, a medieval, and a surprise text on Chinese medicine spaced a week apart. 
often related directly to what we're talking about in the podcast. And you get to join my live Tea Time Talks. Find out more about the cultural roots at your me- of your medicine at happygoatproductions.com slash imperialtutor. And now, go out there and spread some positive vibrations between heaven and earth. <laughs>